Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a highly accomplished uh, gentleman who uh, is in the retail space, which I'm dying to talk to him about because there's so many varying opinions about it. He comes to us out of the the Lone Star state of Texas, uh, the booming state of Texas. Um, And he is a partner at HJH Investments. We're going to find out what HJH stands for. I was racking my brain last night, couldn't come up with it. And he's a also an Austin-based uh, commercial real estate broker with more than 15 years of experience, although he, he doesn't even look like he's older than 15 to me. Uh, <laughs> he, is, he is Ben Kogut. Ben, welcome to Street Smart Success. Roger, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You got it. And that was a compliment. Ben, by the way. I take um, it as that. As you should. And so, you know, you're a Lone State guy. Uh, do you hail from the Lone State originally, or are you one of the masses that have swarmed there over the last decade? Born and raised in Texas, been in Austin since 2000 when I uh, came to go to the University of Texas. So I think that proves that I'm uh, at least old enough to have been here for 20 plus years. And uh, it's been quite the. Uh, honor to see this state grow, see the city grow. It's pretty wild. And a lot of people from your neck of the woods in San Francisco and California have been uh, making their way this uh, direction. And it's been cool meeting a lot of new people from that place as well. So, At a conference this weekend, an investor conference, and somebody from Austin was saying, and they were talking about how they, you'll know the term, don't California, don't try to California or Texas or something when it comes to the politics that we're taking there from San Francisco. Uh, that is definitely a phrase that is used commonly uh, around this part of the world, for sure. I get it, and, and 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 I and I absolutely completely understand why. But that's that's for another podcast. What led you into the world of real estate? I mean, you could have done anything. You could have become, uh, you know, a, a social media guy. You could have been a come a, a, con, a construction worker. Uh, why real estate? Yeah, I decided that I wanted to um, leave a lasting impact in the community. And, and back in the day, back in college, I was doing a series of uh, informational interviews and I kept coming across people who were successful in the commercial real estate business and learned more about how they were making an impact in the world and making money along the way. That doesn't hurt. And uh, yeah, it, after talking to about 50 people uh, who were successful entrepreneurs, I learned that Commercial real estate was where I wanted to be and made the decision and never looked back. So it's been uh, quite the journey and really blessed to have uh, met so many great people along the way. And uh, we're just getting started. It's been a lot of fun. What was your major in college then? Were you a business major or no? Um, I I did government and I did a business minor. I thought I was going to go to law school. Um, I wanted to either be a sports agent or commercial real estate. And so... I decided that law was not for me. Didn't want to sit around being, you know, someone else's uh, <laughs> employee forever. And so it was time for me to make a move. And that, and you needed to do that in order to become an agent. I get it. What was your entree into uh, real estate? How did you start? 
Yeah, I uh, dove right in, went and got my real estate license, then started uh, getting educated. I went through a, C- are you familiar with CCIM, the Certified Commercial yes. Investment Member? So I, I was the youngest person ever to achieve the CCIM in, in, in Austin, maybe even Texas, I'm not sure. And just was just grinding away, found some great mentors. I mean, I give so much credit to my mentors for helping me uh, you know, save a lot of time, learn a lot really fast, and got straight into commercial real estate, sold a bunch of shopping centers, triple net properties, started learning that business from my mentors. Um, this is, you know, then the recession hit. Uh, that was time for me. I, I wanted to go back to school, get an MBA. So I went to a really intense one-year MBA program here in town called Acton MBA. And then graduated there. I uh, went to work for a high net worth family office here in Austin, overseeing a pretty large portfolio, like a few hundred million dollars worth of assets. And then uh, it was time for me to do what I wanted to do, which was start my own company. So started a uh, brokerage company, a development company, and started making investments. And then uh, developed a few things. Didn't love that. That's a whole other story. And then started making investments, looking for passive income. And then I invested with the company I'm at now, HJH Investments, and uh, got to know the CEO, a gentleman named Corey Harkleroad. Corey started the company uh, a few years prior. So I, I invested in 2017. And um, I started learning about the real estate syndication business and uh, decided that that was something I wanted to do and pivoted away from the other companies, away from brokerage, and just focused exclusively on raising capital for commercial real estate syndications. And honestly, it's been the best thing I've ever done. Pretty linear and, and pretty gosh darn condensed the way you present it. Um, and I'm just going to go back a minute to touch on or to clarify. So you're saying you were investing on your own until you said 2017? That's when the, I made my first investment with HGH, with, with another group, with someone else outside of who I was. I was just doing investing in my own deals. And then I was like, I found a deal that HGH put together. And I was like, that looks good. So I made an investment and then started getting monthly checks and started realizing, huh, there's, uh, there's something here. And I was seeing most of the syndicators out there with air quotes are buying apartment complexes, right? Like you mentioned that you've been, you got involved in something here in Riverside and Austin. And I said, well, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of people that would like to own a, a piece of a shopping center or a triple net property or a medical office building or something like that. And that was the path that Corey, my partner, that's what he saw. And so I went all in. He made me an offer I couldn't refuse to become a partner in the company. And he saw in me the ability to educate. So I, t- I often teach about investing in commercial real estate and then just bringing in my relationships from all the different communities that I've been involved in over the years. And um, yeah, it's really grown massively. I mean, humbly speaking, it's been, it's been a fun ride. I mean, we've been in a great market. Uh, we've been able to find a lot of opportunities to buy. And there's a tremendous, I can't even tell you how big the demand is from people out there that have cash that are looking for consistent monthly checks without having to worry about the volatility in the stock market. And so that's what we've been able to provide for people. And we're going we're gonna to drill down on, on that. But I, I'm just out of curiosity. So out of school, sounds like you, I'm going to take you back because you, you blew through it, which is fine. Um, okay. But you were a broker, so you did some deals, sold some shopping centers. And out of, out of college, that's like, I mean, that, that's 
pretty impressive. I mean, you're, you're obviously a kid. Like I said, you you look like you're 15 now. So so back then, <laughs> I mean, not, I'm 40 now. So <laughs> I, I get it. So I mean, you were you were looking like you you probably weren't even shaving every day. I wasn't right after college. I, I was like shaving like every third day. And this was before it was cool to like have a have, have a you know five o'clock shadow. By the way. But anyway, um, you know, so you're obviously a, a, a you know, a, a highly talented guy. You're out doing deals out of college. That's impressive. Then you said you did some development stuff that you just said, ah, it wasn't not so great. What, tell me about that. Um, just the complexities, the dealing with the city, dealing with, we had a civil engineering issue that was just a disaster that I, you know, learned a tough lesson on. The leasing was significantly more difficult. We were definitely led to believe that the leasing would, uh, you know, if you build it, they will come. And uh, it just took way longer. And just compared to, you know, just buying something that's already existing, that's already leased up and buying at a discount. I mean, there's just, it's hard to even compare how much better it is just to buy something that's built. Um, you know, I, I respect a lot of people that, you know, have that creativity and the, and the uh, desire to go out and build things, but I just decided that, that this wasn't for me. And, and was it a shopping center? No, it was a uh, medical office building. Ah, okay. Uh, in Austin or no? Yeah, the Austin area in San Marcos. Yeah, the lesson we learned was we, we had a massive medical tenant, like 10,000 square feet, kind of massive for us. That was big. You know, we molded over it. Like we were told by the Economic Development Corporation and like pretty much everybody, hey, build a second floor as soon as you build it. There's enough demand to lease it. So we said, okay, sure, great. And then, um, you know, got to do the elevator and you got to do, you know, all these other engineering things to make sure that it works. And it just did not lease. And so, you know, we knew that we had our basis covered with that first tenant. But then, you know, the idea is you make your profit on the second floor. And so it took a long time to get that second floor leased up. And so time kills deals. And so time went by and that really like ate into our ability to make a profit on the project. We didn't lose money. And thank goodness, everything's kind of gone up in value. We haven't exited it yet. Uh, we still own it, but, and we'll make money on it one day, but um, you know, it's been, uh, it's definitely been a long journey. It, is it just because it's harder to lease a, where that property is? It's just harder to lease the, a second floor out. Is it? Does that? Because I would think Austin is absolutely booming medical office. You know, broadly speaking, I would think it would be a robust category. Maybe COVID was different. It, depending on the kind of tenants you're talking about, but is that what it was? Yeah, we we overestimated the not only the desire, but also you know Austin versus San Marcos, which is 30 minutes south of Austin. You know, it costs just as much to build in San Marcos as it would in Austin, but the tenants' leasing expectations are to pay leases that are significantly lower than what it would be in Austin. So that was definitely a big lesson learned as well. Okay, well, I, I appreciate the candor. And then, when was that project done in in built? Sheesh, that's been probably 2016, 17. So over five, six okay. years now. All right, and then in that period. Uh, because you said you met you met HJH, you invested with them in seventeen. So along that way, you were also investing in other opportunities that you weren't doing yourself. Correct. Yeah, I started going to these different investor conferences 
learning what other people were investing in. They were looking to uh, raise capital. And so I decided to dip my toe into the world of being a passive investor. And so, um, and that just, that, that changed my life once I made that decision and then started building relationships around all of that. And then it's been, it's, it's been wild. What year was your first passive investment? That you, yeah, that was uh, 2017. 2017. Okay, was the first passive. Okay. And then uh, I, got a, I got a small piece, uh, probably back in 2012, onto a little shopping center here in Austin. But um, this, that was a small one, real, real small one. And when you said, by the way, syndicators, air quotes, what did that mean? Just that I find, and I don't know if you agree with me, that the people that are out there syndicating are buying apartments. The, the air quotes is just that when you like all the talking heads that are talking about syndication, in my opinion, at least 80% of them are just focused on that, that asset class. And so I've been able to, you know, put together a portfolio of shopping centers and so on and so on. I already talked about that. And then I get to go on podcasts and share about triple net investment properties and the benefits of that. And uh, it turns out that there is a lot of people that are not talking about that. And so I just think that when people think it's the word syndication, they just think about multifamily. And so I'm trying to spread the, uh, spread the word about, Hey, there's other ways to get involved in, you know, protecting your capital and commercial real estate and other asset classes. And I'm not the only one, but I am one of many, you know, one of a handful, I guess is what I'm trying to say, of people that are trying to educate the masses about why it's great to be involved in, in shopping centers. Got it. Hey, Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did. I, you know, handpick who I want to invite on the show, I intentionally get a lot more than are just multifamily because quite frankly, it just gets boring. So, and, and I'm also trying to educate myself. And, and uh, so mm-hmm. I've had a, actually a fair amount of shopping center guys on, but I get your point loud and clear. My guess is that, look, there's a heck of a lot more apartment buildings than there are shopping centers. You know, it's just, just sheer numbers, but you're going, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe there aren't. I De- debatable. I guess, debatable. you know, there's a lot of five, yeah, to maybe debatable. Yeah. There's a lot of five tenant, you know, little strips all over the place that you don't necessarily notice unless you're in the business. And I lump in single tenant, triple net properties as well. QSRs, okay. all the freestanding, right. you know, buildings that are leased by triple net tenants. So I think it's a pretty big category. Well, it's not even worth the, the, your point is well made. Let's just, just concede. And, and I agree with you. And so just out of curiosity, what investor conferences did you go to? And if you're not comfortable saying that's fine too. Yeah. So there's two that I actively attend. One is called the Society of Exchange Counselors. They've been around since the sixties. They are, in my opinion, you know, they've been doing exchanges before, you know, 1031 was even a thing. 
And then there's another group called the National Council of Exchangers, very similar. They meet four times a year in Vegas. Uh, I sponsor that meeting. Uh, and through this organization, I have, you know, usually about a hundred people or so show up at these meetings. I'd say like, I don't know, half the room are people who are looking to invest in deals and the other half of the room are people like me who are, you know, bringing opportunities to invest in. And then, you know, everybody's trying to find ways to collaborate. And sometimes there's direct deals happening. Sometimes there's people just exchanging equity amongst different deals. And uh, yeah, it's been definitely been a game changer for me to learn about creative marketing and uh, exchanging and raising capital. And it's, um, you know, we have a lot of relationships through these groups, people who are high net worth individuals who are now partners of ours who come in and, and kiss the note, guarantee the debt it's, it's kind of thing. And that's been a real nice uh, way for us to scale and kind of smooth the process when we're trying to achieve debt on different acquisitions. Uh, we've had a lot of people come in and just either put straight cash or put, you know, trade property with equity into, you know, a project with us. Uh, we've created tenant and common structures, ticks, just did a deal outside of HGH, did a deal where we acquired a portfolio of 27 double wides that uh, we got the seller to seller finance it such that he didn't want the $1.7 million, but he was okay with taking five lump sum payments once a year for the next five years. And so that was a formula. The cash flow from the actual tenants are basically going to just pay pay the whole... It's going to basically just pay for itself. It's pretty wild. And so just a lot of different you know creative formulas um, from a lot of great people in these groups. So double wide, you talking like um like RVs kind of thing or, or mobile homes? Um yeah, so they're I guess mobile home would probably be the better way to define it. And this gentleman had basically bought the land, got the uh the double wide, but you know, double wide, and then um did contract for deeds. So people are paying as if it was rent, but they're actually uh paying down a a note, a mortgage, basically, that seller finance. And so they treat it differently as opposed to just being a tenant because they actually are building ownership and equity in it. Uh, it's effectively, I mean, that deal was like, there are like 9% interest loans, but people don't you know, necessarily think about, okay, what's the interest rate? They just want to know, what's my payment, right? And then you can back into a number that can make sense. And so he seller financed those, and then he seller financed that portfolio to us. And so we have a team of people in South Carolina who are managing it. And um, yeah, I mean, I can, I can tell you another like really creative piece of that puzzle that I thought was pretty interesting. So we, we did make a down payment. And that meant that I think three or four of the lots were free and clear. And so we took those lots and we took those. There was a lady that had a $450,000 piece of land and she wanted to move it. And so we traded the lots use those as a down payment on that $450,000 piece of land. She seller financed the rest, which was roughly, I'm just rounding, about $250,000 that she financed spread out over 15 years. So it was like a $2,000 a month payment or something like that, pretty reasonable, Um, which turned out to be like a 0.5 interest rate or something like that. And then we, we went ahead and sold that piece of land. So that brought in a couple hundred thousand dollars into our partnership. And then we took, then we had, now we had money in the partnership. We had built up some reserves. And then, so we went to the first guy. We owe him about $260,000 in June. And we said, Hey, um, you know, that's seven months from now. 
How about instead of us giving you $260,000 seven months from now, why don't we give you two hundred twenty-five dollars now, take a little discount, you can have the money now. So, um, you know, these are just some like creative... I don't know if you've heard of anybody doing anything this... It sounds complex, but it's actually each little piece is pretty simple. And uh, we're just trying to find ways to, to um, you know, add value and build equity along the way. Are, are you guys actively looking to do things outside of um, uh, shopping centers or is that something that just fell on your lap? So that that is a non-HGH deal that fell on my lap because of relationships I have in that networking group. But as far as what HGH okay. does, because that's what I mostly, that's the hat I mostly wear. Um, we buy, and you said that, by the way, you, you said it was non-HJH. I didn't pick up. Okay, go ahead. No, no worries. Yeah, HJH has been buying, in the middle of the pandemic, we bought a significant amount of office space when office was a four-letter word. Uh, we've been buying a lot of medical office, uh, industrial, uh, QSRs. And, um, you know, what they all pretty much have in common in general is they have, you know, credit tenants or uh, with long-term leases, and we generally aim to buy these assets for better than an eight and a half or a nine cap. Interesting. And are and you're able to do that? Well, two two part question. Uh, you are, you are able to do that, and you'll you'll say yes, yes to that because you said it obviously. But mm-hmm. like, what is the? How are you able to do that in this environment? Because even though you, you and I were kind of going back and forth a little bit that this asset class is just doesn't get the attention, for lack of a better term, than multifamily on the one hand. On the other hand, it's not exactly a huge secret. It's not like you don't have people. It's not, it's not like it's not competitive. So how on earth do you get those cap rates, I guess? Is it the market? Is it the, are there value add components? Uh, what's, what's, the, what's, what's the process? Yeah. So how do we find deals? And the answer is we, uh, we do research every day looking for motivated sellers. And so our acquisitions team will look at between 800 and 1500 deals every week, which is a massive amount of deals looking for properties that fit in our criteria in our box. And so that box, like I had mentioned, credit, you know, tenants, long term lease. And, um, in our, in our asset class. And so about 16 roughly properties will fit in our, that, that we look at will fit in our box every week. And so we make around 16 offers a week, which is a pretty large amount of making offers. So we're throwing out, I wouldn't say low ball offers, but I would say that they're aggressively priced offers. And usually within 24 hours, if it, if it hits the market, we, we're making an offer on it. And so psychologically, I don't know the reason why, but we win a lot of deals because we're the first offer the seller gets. And we just make a lot, a lot, a lot of offers. And it has been a recipe for success. Uh, I can, you know, keep going down that path. You know, when we make an offer, unlike a lot of other people and anybody listening is welcome to use the strategy. Uh, we don't send a letter of intent. We send a fully signed purchase contract. We sign preemptively send a list of references, um, people who we've done business with, brokers, bankers, investors. Hey, call these people because they're going to tell you that we do what we say we're going to do. Um, having integrity is obviously uh, something that you have to have in this business. Then um, we will promise the seller that within two weeks of being under contract, we will personally, physically be on site 
where it doesn't matter where it is in the country. We buy a lot of assets in the Midwest. So I'm up in Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Kansas, Missouri all the time. And so, um, yeah, those, those have been, um, those have been a, 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 it's been a really good recipe for success. Uh, we've now bought, uh, 80 syndications so far. We've put together 80 properties so far. Um, when I started with Corey in 2017, uh, the company, he had bought about $150 million worth of property at, at that point. And now we're in, uh, approaching late 2022 and we just surpassed about 500 million worth of assets. And, um, you know, humbly speaking, we, We've grown and we're working every day to protect our investors' capital. And so I'm not going to do the math right now. I'm going to ask you to do it for me. What What is the average size of the deals you've been doing in the last few years then? Uh, it, we probably do as small as like three something million, sometimes even less than that. We've done a $40 million deal. That was a hospital in Dallas. We buy a lot of, I'd say like the sweet spot is probably five to $10 million deals. Do you think that um, part of what is enabled you to be uh, as successful as you have been, that the buyer pool for that, let's call it, I know you said you did a 40 million deal, but for five to 10, it's actually a fairly small universe. You're not, you know, you're not bumping up against institutional big money or, you know, and it's not necessarily the guy that's, you know, buying, uh, you know, a small Taco Bell in Wichita for, you know, $1.8 million. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, it's kind of like a medium sweet spot for sure. I mean, there's competition in every, every asset class, every size, but, you know, with our systems in place, making a lot of offers, you know, playing that numbers game, so to speak, it's been the way for us to be able to uncover great opportunities for sure. So in order to uh, kind of preside over the growth, how many employees are in And I assume they're mostly in, in Wichita because I know that's where the corporate is, but I, I shouldn't assume that. Maybe you could tell me what it what the corporate structure is. Yeah, so I, I think we have about 12 or 13 people in our Wichita office. And then we have an asset manager who oversees the portfolio in the Ohio office and then a leasing uh, supervisor in our Detroit office. And one of the other um, things that we've done that has allowed for us to scale is we split management in half. And what I mean by that is, you know, in general, there's the physical management, the roof leaks and the landscaping, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the, um, the financial management, the collecting of rents and taxes, blah, blah, blah. And so we basically split it in half. The physical is handled by a third-party company that's local to wherever that property is. And then the financial management is all handled in-house. So we have a five-person accounting team that oversees all of that. And um, yeah, that's that's why we've been able to keep growing. Uh, non-sequitur question, which won't surprise you because most of my questions so far have been non-sequitur. Um, the, the passive investing you did starting in 2017 what asset classes did you passively invest in? Was it was uh, it shopping center and office? All right, I get it. Are you aggregating properties been into a fund or are they just single assets that you syndicate? They're all single assets. They all stand on their own. Inevitably, you guys have thought through, you know, the 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 pluses and minuses of of putting funds together. Why are you doing single asset versus? I love single assets myself, but why are you doing that versus funds? 
Um, I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so it's been working really well for us. But I think more importantly, the way that we have, for lack of a better word, spoiled our investors with uh, monthly dividends that they achieve after the first month of ownership and every single month thereafter is a model that works really well. It's really attractive because people are looking for immediate cash flow. And when you have a fund, you may not necessarily be able to provide that because you know you may not have that capital deployed. And then you're talking about just redeploying. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, that's kind of some of the main reasons. And I think that it's possible that people that have funds, and we've seen this many times, uh, they feel like they are, they're required to deploy that capital. And I believe that would end up resulting in bad deals. And we can't afford to do that. I get it. So, you know, you go in and you're, you're buying stuff at eight or nine caps or what have you. And, and, and things have changed in the last couple months. So I could see where that could be getting easier uh, as interest rates have gone up. But in every deal is different. And I understand that uh, every asset, every market. But are you needing to, uh, how much value add, and that's a, broadly, are these properties to get them to the point where they're, they're stabilized to, to get um, that cap rate, which sounds so amazing. Almost no value add, <laughs> frankly. They are stabilized on day one. And the, the value add, if you will, is buying it at a discount. That's where you make your money. And we're finding sellers that are motivated <laughs> okay. to sell. They, they're motivated for reasons that are completely unrelated to the asset. Like I'll give you an example. In the middle of the pandemic, we bought a $20 million single tenant office building in Houston for at a 10 cap on actuals, 10 cap with seven years left on the lease to a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company. And the seller was a family. Uh, one of the brothers was hurt financially during the pandemic and they needed to exit and they wanted to get it off their books before the end of the year. And we were ready and willing to do that. And so we did that. And, um, yeah, how it's, big it's, of a, how big was that prop is that property and what's the tenant? That, not looking for the name of the tenant, but like, what does the tenant do? What kind of, well, what kind of business? It's, uh, it's medical, obviously. It's, but, uh, no, not medical. It's, it's called Jacob's Engineering. Oh, it was, um, oh, Jacob's, oh, they're huge, does, yeah. They do the engineering for NASA and they're, it's been all over the news. It's gigantic. It's yeah, it's public. And so we figured, well, NASA's not going Go anywhere. Jacob's isn't going anywhere. And so, you know, at that time, nobody was going to the office, but all the specialty NASA equipment was within our, this facility, within this building. We, well, they have to come back eventually. And lo and behold, we were right. And was it a risk? I mean, yes, there's risk in everything, but it was a no brainer. <laughs> they were coming back. They had to. Artemis isn't going anywhere. There's the government wants to go to the moon for their reasons. And the way they do it is by the engineering that happens in this building. So we bought it. Wow. That sounds like an amazing deal. When you say finding motivated sellers, how do you know they're motivated? I mean, uh, and specifically, like, are you, uh, in terms of who you're contacting, are there certain fields, are there certain criteria that would, would, could imply or indicate, or are you just saying generically, that's who ultimately ends up getting, you know, you know, through the funnel at the end of the day, they have to be motivated. Otherwise you're not going to do the deal with them. 
so, you know, we, we're experts. We know what things should be priced at. If we see that an asset is priced at a level cheaper than we would, you know, kind of makes you scratch your head. Be like, why is that? And then immediately we make an offer on that to see if we can find that motivated seller. And then a conversation occurs on our side with the seller or the seller's broker. And usually you, you can just ask. They'll tell you, oh, this, this seller needs out. You know, we bought from a uh, publicly traded REIT who owned um, a single tenant building occupied by Academy Sports. Nine years left on the lease, no issues there at all. Tenants been paying rent nonstop. But the REIT was motivated because they had a mandate to exit after a certain period of time. And they had run up to that period of time and at the last second they decided to sell it. And so since we made the offer, we got the deal. And yeah, that was a pretty darn good home run. It's fascinating, this discussion to me, because it's so different. It, it's, it's obviously, you know, it's a ton of work because nothing isn't, right? It's not the way the world is, right? But at the end of the day, what you're doing is so simple. <laughs> you're just, you're finding really good properties, you know, uh, with, uh, like you said, there's, a, yes, there's risk and everything, but you're basically finding great properties with not that much risk, really. And you're just, you're, you're combing through so many of them, just the numbers game to you and making enough offers to you just get a great deal. <laughs> that's essentially, you know, to a you simpleton like me, that's essentially what I'm hearing. You are correct. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Okay. And then, and then like, and again, you know, I'm not holding you to it and every deal is different, but I mean, what kind of cash on cash, like you said, you're distributing to investors the first after a month, what kind of cash on cash, I guess across, across the portfolio is it, you know, so we, or, or once it, once the ink is dry, what's an average, what's an average in immediate cash on cash? So we publish every single deal that we've done. We publish what we performed and we publish what the actual numbers are. And we do that every quarter. And it is, uh, to answer your question, it is trending just slightly less than 10% cash on cash. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And it's, you know, pretty extraordinary. And what, how are things looking now? Are you, uh, licking your chops thinking there's going to be some deals coming up here in the next couple of years? What's your, what's your sentiment there? Yes. Yeah. We're still buying significant amount of property. We buy almost a property a month right now. Yes. The, the market, a lot of people are hitting the pause button because they want to see what happens in the market. And that is, uh, will continue to be an opportunity for us to buy real estate from motivated sellers. You know, in particular, the fourth quarter, which we're approaching here pretty soon, is definitely a time when people are more motivated to sell because for whatever reason, they need to get an asset off their books before the end of the year. And they're willing to take a price haircut in order to do that. And so we are continuing to make a lot of offers. And um, yeah, we, we always have deals coming down the pipeline. So the machine is growing and it's uh, getting more efficient as we keep growing, which is pretty cool to watch. So, you know, medical, industrial, office, retail, is one of those a favorite of yours? Good question. I, you know, have most of my business experiences in the shopping center business. So I would lean more towards shopping centers. Although I think medical office has proven to be a very strong asset class. 
And I mean, I'm going to keep talking. I think that there is a tremendous amount of opportunity that still is in the office, the suburban office uh, niche. We've had some great deals come out of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. Pick your favorite child. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I, I like them all. I think that at the end of the day, what we look to do is make sure that the unit economics or like the basic, how many widgets does this tenant need to sell or services that they need to provide in order to be able to afford to pay the rent and in order for us to be able to afford to pay our investors the returns that we're spoiling them with. And, um, providing, I shouldn't say spoiling, but that's what it feels like sometimes. Cause I'm an investor too and I feel spoiled. Um, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. So what are the, what are the attributes? And, and like you said, with shopping centers, retail, it's cause there's probably a familiarity for you cause that's what you came out of. So there's a level of comfort. But apart from that, what are the assets? What are the attributes of it that, that would have you say it's kind of your favorite? So I'm a big community guy and I think that shopping centers are places where people come together. And I think that's really important. I think that's a, you know, it's human nature. Uh, a lot of people will say, Oh, Amazon has killed retail. Uh, I would wholeheartedly disagree. It has uh, definitely modified and changed retail. It's changed the way that people go shopping and the way that people experience shopping centers. And I think that that also brings a tremendous amount of opportunity. Like we don't, you, you know, you're in San Francisco, think about, or whoever's listening, think about the grocery store, wherever you, is closest to where you live and all the tenants that, you know, the nail salon and the restaurants and the medical services and the pet stores. And, you know, it, it's kind of a, a formula that just makes a lot of sense. And, you know, comparing that to other asset classes, you can still buy these properties, uh, at great cap rates. And, um, you know, if they're multi-tenant, you know, it's pretty easy, uh, not easy, but it's, it's pretty efficient to be able to add value whenever a tenant leaves or there's, there's just so many different ways to add value in shopping centers. And to your point, it's what I'm most familiar with. And that's why it's my favorite. Got it. Yeah. No, and I, I concur and I, I would suspect as much. You guys, uh, you and the founder, you, you guys, you were an investor passive. That's how you guys met. And then he made you an offer you can't refuse. And you had said that, you know, you're a good capital raise guy, right? So I guess two part question. It was that kind of the, what he hired you for is really to bring more capital on to help him expand the business part one, part two, when I hear you say that you're, you yourself are going to, uh, you know, Indiana, Ohio, which, you know, God bless, I, I feel terrible for you. And other places like that, it could be Kentucky, et cetera, et cetera. So it sounds like you're doing more than the cap raise. So I guess what all do you do? You do. Um, yeah. Then. So yeah, me coming on to be in charge of investor relations is my title which really is I'm in charge of raising all the capital. Um, I'm solely responsible for that. Um, we've raised over $100 million of people's equities so far, um, which is a lot of responsibility. Um, and I think Corey saw that that was um, something I'm really good at, just building relationships and uh, building rapport. And uh, I, I agree, it's, it's my passion. I cannot think of anything else that I'd rather do. And so what else do I do? I, it's important for me to personally be at the properties because 
I have to, I'm the one that conveys the message to our investors about why we're buying this deal. And so I get to tell them, I was there. This is what I saw. Um, this is what I like. This is what I don't like about the deal. And this is what our strategy is or, you know, all, all those types of things. So, um, you know, I get hit by our, with questions by all of our investors. And so, um, I don't think I would feel okay with raising capital on a deal that I haven't personally been to. So, um, yeah, just booked a flight yesterday. Next Tuesday, I'll be up in uh, Indiana. Then I'm going over to Maryland. Then I'm going to Dallas, uh, all in a span of two days to go and, um, you know, make sure that we're, you know, shaking the hands and visiting the properties and kicking the tires and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then I oversee, I, I'm not in charge of marketing, but I am heavily influenced. We have a marketing team that puts together beautiful investor packages and, um, educational materials. Uh, and then, um, what else do I do? I, I host a lot of like, just like investor gatherings, um, do a lot of podcasting, you know, go to a lot of conferences. I set up the booth. So like, I, I, I got, I got a few things going on. You're, you're schlepping. I get it. Okay. Yeah. What, what, what does HJH stand for? It's, uh, Corey's son, Henry J. Harkle Road. So we all work for a son who's like six years old. Well, listen, uh, fantastic conversation. You know, you're, you're doing great things and man, you're having great success and more power to you. Ben, how, how would one uh, get a hold of you if one were so inclined to in, engage you or want to learn more or what have you? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the, uh, the kind words and the opportunity and the conversation. So, uh, my name is Ben Kogut, last name spelled K-O-G-U-T. I'm on all the socials. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm, uh, you can find our website where we have a free ebook called Five Things to Consider When Investing in a Commercial Real Estate Syndication. And our website is hjhinvestments.com. And in particular, we have uh, a series of videos on there as well. The most popular video we have is the one where we go into even further depth on how we find deals. So check that video out, how to find deals, and you can apply that to your world. And uh, yeah, looking forward to connecting with anybody that's uh, interested in this topic. Fantastic. Well, um, love what you do and look forward to being in touch. Likewise, Roger. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. (laughs) 